We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there. We at BlueWire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire Pods, search for us on iTunes or check out BlueWirePods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 190, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and sponsored BetOnline.ag. It's Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and joining me, as always, is Frances Tomas. Frances, we have got La Ronda. It returns. Listener questions. The quarantine cannot hold the listener questions back. I think it's finally time. Hola, Gules. Yeah, I've, I've been waiting for this moment. Uh, we've been doing some specials. And I know that you've been working really hard to do sort of off-the-cuff um, YouTube videos as well that are pretty awesome. And I strongly recommend everyone listening goes and, and watches those. But yeah, having our listeners back with plenty of energy and plenty of doubts and questions is, is, is very welcome. Let's go for it. Yeah, this show usually relies on the listener questions. It's the bread and butter of the show throughout the season. But unfortunately, with the pandemic that has been going on and continues to go on, not much of news changes week to week. A lot of it is rumors and speculations. And as usually is our policy here, we really only want to be reacting to, to guys that seemingly have been rumored week in, week in, and week in, where it seems like there is some kind of communication there, or we want to respond to rumors that, well, we, we don't want to give much credence to rumors, let's put it that way. So we, there are some rumors here that we're going to break down. Again, these are ones that have been festering for a few weeks now, as well as where we think that not football is going, but what Barca could look like when everything does return, because things will come back someday. So we want to cover some of that today, starting with a question from Eli. Why do we keep seeing different variations of player exchanges between Barcelona and Juventus specifically? Artur, Sergio Roberto, Pjanic, Bernadeschi, Delict, all have been named in some sort or, or some sort of combination. And Frances, I, I mean, to me, between Barcelona and Juventus, I don't think it matters too much that it's Juventus just because it's, how do I say this? It's just them and some other big teams like Bayern Munich because not many teams can honestly, and particularly after this pandemic is over, 
not many teams are going to be able to afford Barcelona players and their wages. I think that's just a simple reality. Exactly. And also, there are not many teams that a Barca player uh, would be willing to go to, uh, especially Barca players that you know have got some, some pedigree and caliber and experience, for example, and mainly Rakitic and, and Arturo Vidal. Um, as you've mentioned in passing just now, it is clear that the pandemic has um, is going to affect everyone's pockets. Um, I was reading an article just before coming on air here um, about the devaluation that players have already suffered. Um, but then again, this summer, I think it's going to be up to, if it's finalised, because it's not, it's not just yet finalised, but if the Newcastle takeover uh, via the Saudis is, is actually becoming a reality soon, then I think they're going to explode the market. And that would be, in my eyes, the only reason why the sort of prices that we've been seeing over the last two, three years are actually going to be kept by some clubs, in this case, probably just just Newcastle, but some others, maybe Manchester City, are, are going to follow as well. Um, obviously, and unfortunately, at this point, it seems like Barca are in the second layer or even third layer of um, powerhouses in Europe in terms of money in particular. And this is mainly because we've been wasting money and wasting, not spending, but actually wasting, throwing down the toilet. Um, for many years now, um, the, the amount of money we paid for Coutinho, Dembélé, um, Griezmann even, is just, in my eyes, unreasonable. And, and this whole pandemic has put it into more, in, into more of the forefront, more of a perspective. And um, I'm not quite sure about Juventus. I'm not a Juventus fan, but obviously it does seem that they are in a similar situation to us. So there are several players in Juventus that would be interesting to have. But obviously, we need to play our cards right if that's going to have any truth to be held. Well, yeah, to the Newcastle point, I think with financial fair play, they have to be careful as to not explode the market alone and make sure they overcross, I mean, cross over some lines that they shouldn't be crossing. And to that, to that end, too, when you look at those big takeovers, whether it was PSG and it was Man City, it does take a few years for that to kind of come into effect, where I know that they have more money than than PSG and Man City now, the possible Newcastle owners are, are just that rich, obviously, related to Saudi Arabia. But for Newcastle, because of financial fair play, which can looks to me also can be seemingly bought off as well, though Man City might get punished for something finally. All that said, I think that project, because of the transfer market for Newcastle, might be over the course of a year or two. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to get one major, major sign, signing that costs a whole, whole lot of money. But as far as them selling their own players to avoid FFP, Newcastle doesn't really have too many players that can go for more than 15 or 20 million. That's just the nature of the beast. For And the situation that Newcastle is taking over, that is almost a little bit unlike Man City. But as I said, Man City, it took a while and a few years for that project to happen. And same thing with PSG. So I, I mean, I'm hoping that Newcastle does not basically rewrite the transfer window or uh, rearrange the market as it did the first time or as all these other big clubs the first uh, clubs did the first time, especially with PSG with Neymar. But yet I, I think Newcastle is going to almost be on an island. And I think everybody else is going to have to play by the pandemic's rules financially. But- well, with that, with that, Dan, if they want to explore the market by taking Coutinho for the money we paid for him, then um, I personally <laughs> go to Barcelona, put him in a box and tie the bow and deliver it personally. I wear my mask and I wear my gloves. But yeah. I go to Newcastle by swimming and taking Coutinho with me. Well, to the point that you made, too, Barcelona's wages and the amount of salary they pay, it's not even the amount of money that the transfers cost for a Dembele or a Coutinho or a Griezmann. It's how much their wages on that Barca wage bill are each and every week. That's 
as we've been saying for a long time, whether it was Rakitic or Vidal, those are the things that make Barca players the hardest to move on just because a player isn't going to take, what, a 400% reduction in weekly wages. It's just not going to happen. And speaking of a question from Brad, do players really have the kind of say like Artur does who says he won't leave? Or is that him just trying to talk a big game? And Artur, he doesn't make as much as a Messi, a Busquets, a PK, a De Jong. But Artur still, again, he's a Barcelona player and he does make a hefty wage week in and week out. But he says that he won't leave. I'm not too worried about this, Francis. No, I'm not too worried about it either. Um, if I was Artur, I wouldn't want to go either. Um, he is someone who you know, hasn't really reached his peak just yet. He's had some injury troubles over the last couple of years, but you know this late, this current year. <laughs> I was about to say this last year, as if we finished already, which you know is still up to for debate at this point. But he was getting into the team. He's shown glimpses of the player he can be, and if I was him, I think he's got another at least another year to try and and properly break into the team. I think having Kike Setien in charge is a positive for him. I think the fact that he knows all of his teammates and his shown when he's been trusted and he's been fully fit that he can actually be relied upon to to excel in midfield i think that he's growing in partnership with the young in particular who i think everyone agrees is going to be a regular fixture unless disaster strikes uh, for the next at least five six years and i would certainly if i was arthur i would like to stay and if i was barca i would like to keep him as well as to the amount of say that players do have well yeah they've got all the say, to be honest, because they've got the contracts. You can see it with Gareth Bale and Madrid. I mean, the guy's been playing golf for the last two and a half centuries, and he's been getting a full wage. Um, and he's just, he's had offers to go to the Premiership. Uh, I don't know if this year or last year, but definitely to go to Man United, according to what I can remember. He certainly had offers to go to China, and the guy is just comfortably with his family, living in Madrid, living in the sun, just training for like an hour and a half a day. And, you know, over the last, I think it's probably five, six years now, just getting one of the highest wages in the whole of the Madrid uh, dressing room and, and, you know, living the life. And not only that, then going to play for Wales and uh, making a mockery of his um, golfing skills. So obviously I'm not talking this about a podcast, not a Madrid podcast, but clearly I think if players really want to get arsy about it and they don't want to leave the club, there is no way of moving them out. I mean, you can use tactics like bullying them. You can use tactics uh, such as, you know, playing with their mental health, etc. But that's not what Albasa, I would like Albasa to do, and that's just not ethical. So unless a player actually wants to go, they, they just can't. I mean, Ivan Rakitic last summer and in the last winter as well is a clear example of, of that case. If a player wants to stay, they stay. Well, in the case of Arthur in particular, it's what we mentioned that he has a pretty long contract already. He's got a few more years on that deal, rather. And in the case of Arthur as well, the only reason I would see him leaving is we do talk about his fitness issues. And we actually, he's one of those players that unlike Umtiti, when you look at the knee, and those are the question marks you say. If Umtiti didn't have the knee injuries and he could get back to full fitness, and he obviously is a really important part of the team, but his name is always bandied around in transfer rumors because of uh, who knows if he'll ever truly be in his prime again. Artur with the fitness issues, big questions, but we really actually don't know. Was it that he can't play 90 minutes? Is there a reason for that in terms of his, what he does in training? Is it something off the field? I think the only way that Artur would get moved on this summer, I don't even think it is for a Lotaro or a Neymar. I mean, that would be just an awful piece of business by throwing everybody in your team and the core of your team in for just one deal for one player. You know, it should be some players like a Griezmann 
players that would match the positions of, of a Neymar if they just swap deal. But again, we're, we're off the beaten path there. In the case of Artur, as I said, unless something is really going off the rails behind the scenes, I can't imagine there'd be a reason for the club to want to push him out. And as far as talking the big game, it's funny, Francis, I've been watching, I don't know about you, but I've been watching the Michael Jordan documentary going on because it really is really the only event that we're seeing in sports right now, the documentary on the Chicago Bowl and Francis and I, everybody knows, big NBA fans. The most shocking thing I just want to mention about this documentary, I think for me, well, there's a lot of shocking moments, but I think that one of the most shocking things is that the players had almost no ability in the NBA in the 90s to call the shots. And it's the opposite in the NBA in the world of, of, of football today, where the players just have so much power, particularly in the NBA. They have so much power to dictate the, who they want on their team, their teammates, and pulling the strings here and there. And Michael Jordan, he kind of had to just accept who his teammates were. He had to just be upset that Scottie Pippen was asking for a trade in the 97-98 season. Michael Jordan's maybe, I mean, it's either him or LeBron James, but I mean, for me, I think Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time, and yet he did not have the power to decide. He had to retire to get out of the situation, and he did that twice, right? And so players just have so much more autonomy today. And when I say players, I really mean the agents. So it's the agents who have all this autonomy, and I think there has to be something changing in the world of football in the power that agents have moving forward. Just to say that personally, I've been avoiding the um, the Last Dance Michael Jordan documentary. So I'm currently watching Heisenberg and Jesse Pinkman in Breaking Bad. And I want to watch the 10 episodes from the Jordan series one after the other. So I'll probably watch it in four or five weeks time. Well, we'll be looking forward to, uh, at least I'll be looking forward to your response there. I know it's not related to FC Barcelona, but actually, honestly, when we talk about the dream team coming in 1992 to the Olympics, in Barcelona, that's why the dream team is named after Corey. So there are connections that will be made in uh, whenever you get to watching them. But let's hit a break real quick and come back with the rest of our listener questions. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online waging solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first level chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Now back to the show. We got a question from Zach and Dirk. It's kind of a combination here. How do you think playing at least half a season behind closed doors will affect our home form? Asked Zach. And on the reverse side of this, Dirk says, are we suffering away from home primarily because our opponents have had the support of their fans? And could there be a better performance from Barcelona behind closed doors on the road? Well, that's that's a really good question. Um, I think that, and Pau Gasol and Rafa Nadal actually mentioned this yesterday. They had an interview. Uh, I shared the interview on the you know the social media, and um, it is interesting for them to say, and I totally agree that they the fans give you that 
extra, that 10% extra that makes the difference. Um, I've been watching some shows actually, like, um, I don't know, like John Oliver or Have I Got News For You and, and some, some shows that normally have an audience and they're utter rubbish right now because, you know, they're just telling jokes and then there's like no one laughing at them. And it would be the same in a football, uh, basketball, in whatever, even tennis, any sports without the audience, without the fans, without that, that raw energy that comes from, from be, you know, being surrounded by other people. It would just be really, really strange. Now, obviously, Barca's a form away from home. I think, you know, you mentioned the fans. Yeah, obviously, when you go away from home, there are fans that are jeering you and they want the other team to win. That's, that's the nature of, of football with fans, obviously. But I think it's more of a psychological thing. And, and I think the fans in 2020, 19, 18, 17, 16, you know, all the way back, they've been the same. They always pretty much hated Barca. Um, they always wanted the home team to win. So I don't think the fans, when Barca go away, are different. Uh, I think it's just the fact that Barca has been weaker this year. And, uh, you know, they've got this, and obviously there's physicality and there's skill and all of those points being involved. But I think it's more of a mental preparation. Um, Barca in 2010, 11, 12, they felt they were superior. That they, they knew that, you know, we've been managed by Villanova or Guardiola and we're going to go wherever in the world and we're going to win. You know, we've got Messi, we've got Dani Alves, we've got Xavi, Iniesta, we've got Puyol. Wherever we go, we're going to win. And at the moment, you just don't know who you're going to be facing. Um, you're not, you don't know how they're going to be. But it is certain that you go to play to, I don't know, Levante, Leganes, Getafe nowadays. And they don't fear Barca at all. You know, they just hope that Messi has one of his quiet days getting frustrated by the lack of ability from Dembélé to put a cross in. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the, in the last two, three months, no, not even. In the last six weeks before the pandemic actually, you know, stopped everything, Martin Braithwaite was the key difference maker beyond Messi in the team. I mean, we are talking worlds apart from what Barca used to be to what it is now. So um, long story cut short, I think, yes, the, the, the fact that the fans are not there to support or Gia, the, 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 the Blaugrana team, is going to make a difference. It's going probably going to take the being away or being home factor a little bit away. But, you know, regardless, I think I'm really sad that this, obviously, this whole thing is happening. And, and from a purely sporting perspective, it's going to be very hard to watch any sport without us fans being there, to be honest. Yeah, I also think part of it is a little bit mental, where you think about in around Spain, which obviously always has beautiful weather. And in, in opposition to whether it's, the, you know, to talk about the Russian Premier League and how far away some of those teams and cities are and that kind of travel or here in the United States, the challenges that major league soccer faces just because of the amount of miles of certain teams in the corners of the U S would have to put in comparison to ones that are closer in the middle, but for Barcelona and almost any team in Spain, I, I think some of the things are mental and almost historic that, that fear of, of certain locations where you think about some of the, what are some of the hardest places to play in Spain, right? Athletic club, Real Sociedad, Cadiz, when they're up in the top division, they're some of the more menacing locations to go to around the league. And yet, I think for Barcelona, the way that they're able to pay for private planes and charter buses, the places that were, we'll say, scary back in the day, it was it can be scary on match day when some places are a little more hostile. You have you know, obviously rocks are being thrown and it's a little less welcoming than others. And so match day can matter a bit. But as far as getting to the stadiums and all the travel involved about the preparation where it used to be a difficult trip up in the Pyrenees Mountains, it's not so tough anymore. 
to get to location. So I think some of that winds up be, being mental as far as saying, oh, we struggle at this location or we have a hard time on the road. But I do think a place like Athletic Club that you look at the difference, not that I'm not saying that Barca doesn't thrive off the camp. No, but even at two thirds capacity, the camp knows got 50, 60,000 people. But for Athletic Club, their people show up and they show up with a fever match in and match out, and they get a huge boost from their fans. So I think there are clubs that do, especially at home, that do feed off their fans quite a bit. And I, again, I'm not saying that Barca doesn't, but again, even if Barca at half capacity has, I mean, more fans than so many teams in the Liga. So there always are fans there to thrive off of, even if it is just some low-level Copa del Rey match in, you know, in the middle of November. There's always yep. going to be fans there. I agree. I think teams like, now that you're talking, teams like Osasuna, Eibar, and Betis, they're really going to miss the home fans because they are the ones that make the place special. Yep, for sure. I agree. We got a question from Chris. With the likes of Trincao and Pedri coming in along with Ansu Fadi already present, do we really need to go out and spend a lot of money in the transfer window for a superstar signing when our club should be all about giving chances to the youth? Unfortunately here, I've always been the I think not the one of the two of us, but I've always been the one who's willing to take a few lumps with the progress of Fati and Pedri. Not just those two, but basically almost any player from La Masia. I I tend to uh, put a little more onus and credus, and I have a little more belief in Alejandro Oriana or Iashmar Riba, and believe that 16, 17, 18 year olds, not that they're going to feature in the first team, but that their timelines are something to keep in, in, in keep account of. The issue here is that. Pedri and Fati are 17. Trincao is 21 and or 20 going on 21 in his early 20s. Unfortunately, of those three, which Pedri, I think, is going to be an attacking midfielder or basically an Iniesta in the future as far as where he positions on the field. But Trincao and Fati on the wings, yes, they kind of do. Trincao plays right wing. So in theory, unfortunately, he kind of does occupy the space that Messi uh, in his free roaming role begins However, between the three of them, I would love if all three became superstars, but you're not really a superstar until you are. And as much as Fati came out of the gate hot, as much as Pedri was, I mean, having a terrific season in the second division with Las Palmas, and as much as Trincao, after he signed for Barca, has been lighting it up for Braga in, in the Portuguese first division, you can only assume that one of the three is going to be a superstar. As unfortunate as that is, it's just the way it works, where it's limited opportunities and chances. And if you do not immediately seize your chances at a team like FC Barcelona, it's not going to work. And look like a, look at players like Coutinho, like Griezmann. They are superstars. They are global superstars. With They were the best on Brazil. They're the best on France. You know, Griezmann won a World Cup, and then he comes from Barcelona, and it's going to take him at least a year to get accustomed to Barca. And maybe like a Cesc Fabregas, he never gets there. Right? Maybe you can be a world-class talent because when Cesc Fabricas came back from Arsenal, remember, he was uh, at the top of the world. I mean, he was an elite player, an elite player who could play as an attacking midfielder, but he was put out on the left in that 3-4-3 that didn't really work for him, and it just didn't work out. So in conclusion, Chris, I would love it if the club didn't have to give all that money away for a superstar signing, but it's not just even the timeline of Messi. It's that uh, with the way that the squad is built at the moment— 
Yeah, you could say financially that it would be really helpful if Trungao, Pedri, and Fati were able to contribute. But unfortunately, I just think with the number of limited opportunities on the wings for Barca, think even of Dembele if he's not sold. I only really can put stock in one of these guys hopefully becoming a big, big global superstar, even though I'd love it if it was all three. Yeah, and then I, I was thinking, let's turn the question upside down. Which players in Barca today, so you know, right before the pandemic exploded, which players are world-class? Messi, Ter Stegen. That's it. That's it. You know, you've got players that are fairly good below them. You've got Griezmann. Arguably, you can have Piquet, but I know a lot of listeners will not agree with that. Yeah, but I mean, I would, I, would argue, I would argue that until, not that they're living off legacy, but I would argue that Piquet was having a really, really good season. And Alba, as much as he has been struggling... I ask you to name the top three left backs in the world without mentioning Jordi Alba. So, I mean, those two are two that I'm almost kind of saying, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think we still kind of have to put them in there, but I, I get your point. Yeah. So you've got the top two, which is Messi Ter Stegen. Then you've got a second layer that for me just include Piquet based on his performance this season and based on the fact, and this is very important, that he does not play for Spain. So he's much more rested. I think that's the key reason why Piquet has actually improved a little bit from the previous season. Then Griezmann, because of everything he's done for Atletico and France and Barca in that order. And then if you want to push it a little bit further, you can put the young in there, but not the, the young from Barca, but the young from Holland and definitely from Ajax. And I think putting Busquets in that same group is a little bit of a push based on what we've seen recently. So with that in mind, will you not add Neymar to that? Will you not add Lautaro Martinez to that? And, and with, with Lautaro, we need to be very careful as well. Lautaro has been good or has been prolific and sort of at the upper end of good, if that makes any sense, mm -hmm. for one and a half years at Inter. Nothing more than that. So I think that he really needs a lot of time or he would need a lot of time if he was to come to, to Catalonia to adapt to his environment, his teammates, and to develop. So he's not a certain invest the money and respond tomorrow investment. I would say that Neymar, for those reasons, obviously pending injuries that will potentially happen, Neymar will be the safer bet. And I know a lot of people hate Neymar because of the way he left, and I'm not very happy about that either. But if you want to play into Messi's legacy and to Messi's timeline, which, to be honest, we have to do because, you know, we, this podcast in two, three years' time, we could be talking about post-Messi, post and that's being generous. The fact that I said two years, it could be one more year. Um, so we need to strike it while it's hot. And Pedri, Trincao, Fati, Puch, etc. I think they need to be the bench. They need to be the ones coming on. They need to be the early Iniestas and early Messi's coming on to, 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 to sort of take over from the ones that are more established. But the thing is, the starting eleven right now is not as powerful. It's not as strong. It's not as skilled. It's not as, as we just mentioned before, not so self-confident and mentally strong. Therefore, adding a world-class player, yes, it is necessary. Yeah, world-class, I, I, there's, there's an American reporter who covers the MLS who says the world-class is a made-up idea, and it truly is. When you look at the way that players get to be called world-class is by showing up big in, in World Cups and Champions, exactly. League, and Champions Leagues and times when the whole football world is watching one match. But Henrik Larsson wins Barcelona or has a big hand at winning Barcelona Champions League. But Henrik Larsson was a good player. He wasn't world class, I don't think. But we there is kind of a, a general understanding about what we mean when we say world class. It, it means the biggest players that not only do it in one moment, but continue to do it 
better than everybody else year in and year out. And obviously, we start with Messi there, but Ronaldo, and yes, you could say that Neymar has been, that Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane have been knocking on that door, but it takes a long time to, to break in, to be considered that, to have that trust. So speaking of the time when Barcelona did have so many world-class players, Rick wants us to harken back to the Tito Villanova years as just like Rick had asked a while back ago about the late Cruyff and what he would say about the club today, he wants to ask about Tito Villanova. Six years since he left too soon, it might be difficult to speculate how he thought of the club while he was a manager, but Rick is asking for the pod to reminisce on how he was as a manager and what the club would look like if he had been in charge for a few more years. So, uh, Frances, do you want me to go first on this or do you want to go first? No, no, go first, go first. See what you say. So the question I, I guess I start with about the impact of Tito Villanova doesn't even have to do with him being a manager, but you really ask what would Pep Guardiola have been without Tito Villanova? He was in La Masia with Guardiola, played for Barcelona C and B, but never really broke through the way Guardiola did. He did play a bit of first-team football with Celta de Vigo. That was his first time up at the top level, but usually he was in the second division with Barajoz, Mallorca, Lleida, and, and Elche. Then his first coaching job after he retired comes for a fourth division side, FC Palafugel in Girona, and he got relegated down to the fifth division, getting relegated in his only coaching, his first coaching job, should I say. Then he takes a job as a technical director at Terrassa FC, the neighborhood in Barcelona where Xavi is actually from. So that's a little fun fact there. Before Barcelona came calling and made him the number two for Pep with Barca being the fourth division. So that's really where Tito Villanova, it wasn't much time as a manager or behind the scenes before that. And then the rest is the part everybody knows. Barca B get promoted. Guardiola and Villanova replaced Frank Reichard and Johan Niskins. And now we're on our way. So in that first year, obviously, six trophies that first year with Guardiola and Villanova in charge. And then all the trophies that followed. 2002, Villanova took over for the 2012-2013 season. Eight total losses that year under Villanova. Scoring in every single La Liga game. Winning the league by 15 points. 100 in total. A top mark for Barcelona. However, December of that year, it was announced that he had cancer, and then he had surgery and was gone until March. That was the year that Barcelona, if we remember, were dismantled 7-0 by Bayern Munich in the Champions League semifinals, and then also lost to Real Madrid in the semifinals with Jordi Mora in charge. And the team that he took over, just to remind everybody as I continue to lay the groundwork for Frances's response, it was really a continuation of, Pepe, of, of Pep's team. Puyol was limited to just 20 appearances that season. He was on the end of his career, but Mascherano was already getting integrated and pairing with PK. Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, and Fabregas, who I already mentioned in the show, were often being used in that 3-4-3 formation with Fabregas out on the left, kind of being lost and not knowing too much to do as he was trying to cut as an inside interior left. Thiago leaves after that season. One of the questions I wonder about Villanova is if Villanova is able to stick around and not replace by Tata Martino. I wonder if Thiago does go to leave. Pep Guardiola and Bayern. Valdez, Alves, Pique, Alba, Messi, Pedro, David Villa, Alexis Sanchez fill out, we'll say, the rest of the core of that roster with Mark Bartra, Martin, Montoya. So some of the other names you remember as well. But you look, that was a supremely deep and talented team that Villanova did take over. Now, one of the other questions I ask you, Frances, if Villanova continues, you have to think that there is no Luis Enrique, right? But I think that there is still Neymar, but does Luis Suarez arrive? Right? So I wonder about Luis Enrique, I wonder about Luis Suarez, and I wonder if a treble happens in 2015. Because the way that Enrique left the three, let the three up top kind of be themselves with a more direct approach and change tactics a bit, kind of did work with the way that football taxes in, in, in the world were changing. And I wonder if Villanova does the same. Or does Villanova build onto what Guardiola was doing 
and tinker a little bit and basically continue that era. I, and those are the big, the really two big questions I ask about where it would have gone with Villanova. Well, we don't obviously know. Yeah. Um, most important thing here is the fact that our leader uh, for one of the best seasons in our history just had to had to quit his job. And not just that, you know, he's no longer with us. And it was a huge tragedy that, you know, psychologically did have an effect, which is obviously why we lost the 7-0, etc. And, you know, the, the players, as you mentioned, they were great. The squad had a lot of depth. And it was more, as we've been saying before today already, it's all about the mental um, readiness to, to, to challenge when things really turn ugly. Barca at that time, they were in desperate need of a remodelación, you know, a remodelation, like a change, like a drastic change. And that's the key reason why Guardiola left. Um, Guardiola was made successful, uh, the most successful coach in our history, probably forever. <laughs> when we continue the podcast in 200 years, um, Dan, we'll still be talking about Guardiola, I'm sure. So, but he did it because of his philosophy, because of his um, tactical awareness, because his knowledge of La Masia, not necessarily at that point, but the ones that were coming after as well. And the, the, his ability to deal with the entorno, which is the environment in, in Catalonia, in terms of the press, in terms of uh, managing the, the fans' expectations, etc. And all of those factors were things that Tito Villanova could do as well. You know, Villanova was quieter. Villanova did not like the spotlight. And he wasn't as candid with the camera. He wasn't as aggressive at times as Guardiola had to be. Um, he wasn't as well-spoken. He wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't a Barca captain. Um, and, you know, he didn't have pretty much every teenage girl in Barcelona falling in love with him <laughs> like Guardiola did growing up. Um, I remember girls in my class just having posters of him in, in their the bedroom and even bringing them to school, which was a bit weird. But, you know, I sort of can't understand that. Um, something that Luis Enrique actually had as well, to be fair, just extra information for the listeners. So um, I do think that Villanova would have continued um, with that legacy. And I do not think, being totally honest, I do not think that, that Villanova would have been able to make the drastic changes that the team needed at the time. Um, I think that we wouldn't have wasted a year with Tata Martino, which was one of the weirdest things that has happened in the last 15 years in Barca history, because, you know, he had no understanding of um, where he was going to. And, you know, just because the fact that he was Argentinian and people thought he would be friends with Messi, because uh, other than that, honestly, I don't see why Tata Martino was ever hired. Um, but I do agree with what you hinted that, you know, 2015 just doesn't happen in the sense that we wouldn't have needed probably to, to hire Luis Suarez. Um, Neymar would have come anyway because that's more of a, obviously with Guardiola and then Villanova's consensus, obviously, but I think it was more of a, a an initiative driven by the board. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say too much, but there, there could have been some bits and pieces to do with... Um, with economic incentives, okay? I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, people can read between the lines if they want to. Um, but yeah, I don't think 2015 happens in the same way and probably we don't even win the Champions League. Um, but what I am sure is that the team that Villanova left when unfortunately had to stop coaching needed uh, a facelift, needed remodelation. And I don't know if he would have been able to do it. Right. That, that was a big point, too, about his personality, just being a little bit different than Guardiola's. But the, the weird thing about as much as he was this figure to the media in a different way that Guardiola was, it seemed like the players, he got a similar response from the players. But with anything, any project, things don't go sour. And the 
saddest thing about Villanova is that you didn't really get to watch it play out. And again, that's what we really do truly remember that in his first year, and even though it was a continuation of Guardiola's project, Villanova still, uh, the players got behind him in his first season of resounding 100 points. And again, you could see in the second half of that season, and this isn't to make no excuses about the 7 nothing losses, uh, aggregate loss to Bayern in the Champions League or losing to Real Madrid without Tita Villanova on the sideline. That's not to make excuses of those defeats. The players obviously have their own onus to, to win those games, but there certainly was something heavy going around and everyone having an understanding that uh, certainly things were not right. So yeah, it's unfortunate about what had happened with Villanova. I, again, I do remember him fondly, but I not even as a manager in the one season, but I attach all of what Guardiola did and I give Villanova as his number two so much credit as well. And I think that is really where his legacy is that he was still a major player in the most successful history time in Barcelona's history. I want to end the Villanova segment here with a fun fact here, Frances, because that's what people come to the Barcelona podcast for. During his, of course. They don't come to listen to us. No, they? no, no. They come for facts like this. So Tito Villanova, as a player during his time at Lleida, which is a Catalan club, for those who don't know, in a 1998 Copa Catalunya, so the Catalan Cup, as, as, as it were, game against FC Barcelona, who at the time was being coached by Jose Mourinho, who had swapped responsibilities with head coach Louis van Gaal during the tournament because it was, again, a, it's a, the, Copa, the Catalan Cup, unlike back in the uh, beginnings of the club, is no longer such an important uh, competition. So Jose Mourinho winds up being head coach, his very first match on the touchline. And then Tito Villanova, playing for Yeda, scores a goal, becoming the first player to net against the team directed by or coached by Jose Mourinho, the same man who would go on to poke him in the eye more than 10 years later. So I just think that is an interesting little fact there, an interesting little moment, a snapshot in time that we wind up revisiting more than 10 years later when Mourinho is obviously on the Real Madrid sidelines and takes a little too much. He tries to give an eye exam to Tito Villanova pretty unfairly. So, Francis, did you know that? I'm just... And no, well, I, I heard that before. I just didn't remember. Um, it's just disappointing that Mourinho didn't decide to, you know, change his career to become a professional ballet dancer at the time because he would have saved a lot of um, hassle for lots of <laughs> millions of people around the world after. Right. Jose Mourinho, not everybody's favorite figure, even though he at one point was enlisted for Barcelona and might have been their manager. But alas, it's a different history and Mourinho is obviously hated by uh, Kool-Aid's the world over. So let's end this podcast by asking, I think, the hardest question we're going to have here Basically, question uh, from Douglas and Dirk adds on as well. Douglas, do you think the shutdown will help with the longevity of some of the more senior players? And then Dirk adding on that uh, he mentioned that I had said in a recent podcast, which I did, that once the season picks up, the way that lockouts have worked in U.S. sports, and again, there, there, it's different comparisons, sure, but the way lockouts have worked in the past where players weren't allowed to train as teams, it seems like, I thought, think about the 1999 NBA season, the... Younger teams seem to be able to quick pick things up a little bit quicker when things start, and the older squads actually are the ones that have a little more trouble coming back to full fitness. The only counter argument to this is that at the moment, at the time that things stopped, Luis Suarez was obviously going to be out for the year. Dembele, who is not an older player, was probably going to was almost certainly going to be out for the year as well. Suarez might have been the one to come back, and then even Messi had been dealing with an injury at the time. 
And a large part of our team, as Dirk also mentioned, had been playing for club and country. And players like Messi or Suarez hadn't really had any kind of international break in a few summers now because of Copa Americas and World Cups and all those different things. So this is like their, this is basically their longest break that, I mean, Messi maybe has even had since what, 07, right? 06, 07, mm-hmm. or even then when he was at, even then he was at the, the Olympics, the under 23s. I mean, I don't know when Messi really has had this kind of break that's going to be going on potentially, we don't know how many months, but we know at least more than two months, right? So Messi has never had that kind of break. So I don't know, Francis, this is actually 50-50 that I, I think history tells us that older squads like Barcelona's, they have a hard time. They're also, as the NBA is, and Chris Paul, the head of the Players Association, the NBA is mentioning that particularly the older players you are much more susceptible because these players are not able to do their real full fitness stuff in terms of playing at a match level. It's going to take some time to get them there, but you're much more susceptible to injuries. So this is one of those cases where Barca, they might look refreshed, but then they might be way more susceptible to injury because they're older players. But in the same way, at least you're going to have, in theory, all of your players to try to go about it. it, it I, I don't know, Francis. This is really one of those things that obviously you can't know this question, but it seems like the arguments go back and forth for me. Yeah, um, you've hit all the points that I was going to make. I think that for me, the biggest one is the injury bit. Um, we have traditionally not been too good with injuries, um, th- especially this year. And I am just concerned that the moment that the ball starts rolling, not even for real, but you know, during training, they're saying about from five to three weeks of training before the first game actually kicks off. Um, that's if it actually does kick off eventually. And uh, yeah, I'm concerned that there will be long-term injuries. So I think that whatever team can stay fit and avoid injuries has got the, a much better chance of, of getting far. And obviously, Barca are not the youngest squad by by a long way. So I think it's actually going to be detrimental, even if we have Luis Suarez and Dembele back eventually. Yeah, I think it's difficult to say. But what we do know is that when football eventually does come back, I mean, we'll be continuing to talk about something's going on there. But uh, we know the same things you do. And nobody knows anything. We might know as much even as the players do. That's the situation that the world is living in. And each different place in the world is going through its own thing. So, I, again, we also want to wrap this up with a almost a reminder that uh, I, I've been happy to see, particularly on social media, as vile as it is for as long as it's been, as long as the F, as the Barcelona podcast has been around and before that, football Twitter, as they call it, really can be a, an evil place sometimes. But I've been really relieved to see. We had on the Pena last week, to, and they were talking about the NYC Kicks coronavirus. But there, uh, we also have people who, regular listeners to the podcast, that are dealing with personal losses in their own lives. Uh, and we've seen things about how you can support the World Central Kitchen, and that does help everybody out as well. So for those who are listening and in a good spot with that, again, there are so many places where we can all combine our efforts. And what I've been relieved to see is just the support that I always say it at the top that it is the Barcelona community. And I, I think for more than any other time, when the, when the cards are down... I have seen a sense of community. There is a lot of negative news and the way, you know, corporations aren't really people in terms of some of the decisions that are being made with employees and things like that around the world. But again, I've been relieved to see the way that people, like the actual human people, that the ones that click send on those tweets, there is a humanity that I'm seeing. And I want to thank the listeners and the whole Barca community for finding a sense of community again. Well, good. Um, I wouldn't know because I'm not on Twitter. I think it's an evil place which people traditionally go to just puke their insights out and I've got no time for it. Well, Facebook too. It's, it's ever, I've, I've seen it everywhere across social media, just a, a sense of community and people being kind to each other. Because social media is the only place we can be together. 
anymore. So I, I do mention all of that. So I want to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in again. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod at Hilton D13 for me. On Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tvpod.link backslash group. That's where we got these questions from. Again, we were so happy to do LaRonda once again today. Also on Patreon, not making any quick take match reviews at the moment, but Continue to help make these shows, tvpod.link backslash Patreon. And we're on YouTube. Francesca mentioned at the start, the Barcelona podcast is what it's called. Check us out there. Hit that subscription button. And for those who stay and stick around for the end of the show, which anybody can already probably hit fast forward and end the podcast early, you're the one that get to hear that this week it is all about the history of Barcelona Stadium. So we're talking about the three places that Barcelona have called home in their history, the third being the Camp No, but I'm going to talk a lot about the other two as well. So you get a little nugget and a preview on what I'm going to be speaking about, the Camp de la Industria, as well as Camp to Las Cortes. So those are the two that are going to be featured this week along with the Camp No on the YouTube channel. So check that out, the Barcelona Podcast. Give us a like, subscribe, and all that. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza.